Hello, and thank you for downloading this episode of Co-Authored, the oral history podcast from History Colorado Studios. For more information about this and other podcasts, go to www.historycolorado.org podcasts. This is the third episode of Juan Federico Trujillo's oral history. Juan, also known as Freddie Freak, tells the story of growing up in Trinidad, Colorado, moving to Denver, getting involved in the Chicano movement, and ending up in Pueblo. For the rest of Freddie's story, look for previous episodes. Just a warning, this episode contains swear words in multiple languages. Be advised. Back in 76, uh, let me back up a little. A lot of the people that graduated from Boulder, like uh, Juan Espinosa, he graduated that that spring, I believe it was, of 74. And uh, he came to Pueblo, and a lot of other people started coming here to Pueblo. And 76, they started a newspaper called La Cucaracha. And, uh, okay, well, let me back up. On campus up in Boulder, we had a newspaper called El Diario de la Gente. And that was a student-run organization uh, uh, newspaper, and uh, Juan Espinosa, Paul Mora, uh, uh, Jose Esteban Arteja, uh, myself, uh, who, Debbie Martinez, I mean, not, not Debbie Espinosa, uh, a whole bunch of uh, students, right, that were uh, journalists and whatever. Uh, and I don't even know how to write a sentence, but I know how to put a paper together. I had printing experience, so I landed in helping in that and training and teaching other people how to do layouts and uh, and cut and paste and all of this stuff. You don't do that anymore, but. So anyway, uh, in 60, in 76, they started the newspaper here in Pueblo, La Cucaracha, and that's when I, I used to come down here. They used to have what we used to call Cucaracha weekends. And in the beginning, I believe it was just once a month. And then, after a while, they started twice a month. And I would hitchhike down here, work the weekend, and then hitchhike back up to Boulder. And uh, in 78, I just got sick and tired. I'd been living in Boulder now for 13 years. Most people came and went. They did their two, three, four years, and they're out of there. So I'd been there on campus. For 13 years, I'd been playing frisbee, having love-ins, doing all this other cookie stuff on campus. So I was just tired of it. And I, so I came, I talked with Dave Martinez, and you know, I, I called him and I told him, you know what, man, I said, I'm really getting bummed out with Boulder, man, but I don't know what to do. He said, come down here, man. You see, you can crash in my house, man. He said, I, he said Got a sleeping bag? I said, yeah. He said, come on down, man. So I came down and I crashed on his floor, you know, and did a little work here and there for them. And then uh, Juan Espinosa was working at that time. He was working for the Manpower. And he got me a job through Manpower. And it was really weird because I was supposed to start at the first of the year. And that Christmas, I got the flu really bad. And uh, 
was really sick. And uh, I told Frances, my significant other, I told her, I says, uh, call Virgil Lincona and tell him that I'm sick, you know, and, and see, see what he can do. Well, Virgil Lincona came to, house, to my house. Virgil Lincona worked, well, he was one of the founding fathers of the Pueblo Health Centers. And he came to my house, and and the first thing he did is he pulled out this bag of weed, and he tells Francis, "Here, rolling three joints, fat joints, no stems, no seeds, or no just." And he said, the first thing I said, "Here, take his lozenge." I couldn't talk to him, so I took the lozenge, and then uh, he gave me some aspirin or something else, and I took that and. He said, here, smoke a joint, man. And so I did, and man, I fell asleep. About four hours later, I woke up, man, and I was just so full of energy, man. Like all of a sudden, man, you know, I wasn't sick anymore. Francis and I had been living on flour gravy or milk gravy. That's all we had to eat, right? We, we were pretty down. And I told Francis, have you ever, I said, have you went and checked the mail? And she said, no, I said, go check the mail. She goes and checked the mail. And there, there's a check in there, man, for me. So, man, we went in, uh, remember Solos? There used to be a store mm -hmm. called Solos. Yeah. We used, okay, I went over there and cashed a check. We bought a whole bunch of groceries, came home, and man, we lived like a king. Well, anyway, my, my position was was called broadcast specialist, and what my job was to do was to do a weekly program for radio station KPI, the Mexican radio station in Pueblo. So Jose Esteban Ortega and I got together. I lived up on uh, up on the blocks, up on Midway, and Jose and I would get together and. Uh, on Saturday mornings, because they did the, they did the the, the programs, at Saturday and Sundays, uh, they would do our announcements. So we'd get over there in my house. And I had a turntable with a vinyl record with La Cucaracha song on there. I start playing it, and I turn up the sound, and then I turn it on, and Jose would come out. Noticias con la Cucaracha, and then. I turned up the music, I turned it down, and then he'd come on. This week with La Cucaracha, and he'd read about all of the stuff that was that you're gonna be able to read in this up and coming newspaper, right? So anyway, yeah, that's what we do. And then after we did that, then we have to take it over to the radio station. Equally this it was over on West 29th, you know, way way over there. <laughs> A couple of times we had, you know how they they dropped them things down there to stop the, the for train. The train. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we'd go around with the pendejo. But we'd get up there and we'd do that, right? And uh, but in the meantime we had a we had our own little peanut gallery. Uh, did you ever hear of uh, Juan Ortega? Yeah. He's a, uh -huh. a, a primo of of, of, of your yeah. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, yeah. Him and these other guys, Romulo Mare and a couple of other guys that I know. They were the, 
they would come over to my house. We were doing this radio program, right? And, of course, we'd all be uh, it, 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 indulging and smoking and having a good time, right? And uh, Jose would be real serious in the talking about his program and that, and, and he would make a mistake. And these guys would start laughing. So we had to stop the program, right? Shut it off and tell you guys can't be doing that. You're going to have to leave if you do that anymore. So then we'd have to back it up and edit it and, and start it again, right? So, okay, so we would do that. And, and yeah, so we did that. And, uh, and then after, after that ended for me, Jose kept doing it. Yeah, Stefan kept doing that program. I, I don't remember why it was that I ended up, why I didn't, ended up not doing it anymore. But I know that he kept doing it. He was doing interviews with a lot of people and that, right? So he kept it up. But yeah, that was that was one of my jobs. Plus, uh, the the distribution of the paper, you know. And we had a a unique way that we tell people, uh, whenever you're coming through Pueblo, whatever direction you're going, we don't care. Whatever direction you're going or coming from, stop in our office. And if we had papers, they would pick them up and they would take them where they were going or where they were coming from. If they were from the valley and they were going to Denver, we'd take them, send some papers up there, but also pick up some papers and take them down to the valley. We had all of these people that were helping us, you know. Uh, so we, that was a unique way of distribution, but it was great because everybody wanted help. You know, as far as I know, there was only two of us, and I was one, and there was this woman named Patricia, but I can't remember her name. She was uh, there through manpower, so there was only two of us. I was only there for a year with manpower, that's what it was. Yeah, so anyway, uh, but we were the only two, right? And like, I was getting paid like $600 a month, man, and to me that was a lot of money, right? So. Um, some of the guys in like Paul Mora and that, they, they weren't working, they were there, but you know, passed them a couple of hundred bucks, you know, because they needed to be supported too. So anyway, it, it worked out really fine, man. We, we, we always watched out for each other, took care of each other, right? And I love La Cucaracha. You know, when you say Cucaracha weekend, man, we would have lawyers, doctors, accountants, all of the professionals, man would come there, right? They would come there, and we'd work hard, and we'd be working hard, and all of a sudden, I'd tell them, fire drill. And everybody knew that when we said fire drill, that meant that everybody go outside. And we'd sit around the tree there, and we'd light up some joints and smoke them, right? And they would start taking our break, right? A lot of the other guys that would work there, they weren't potheads, so they would, we were right ne next door to Marcos, and they would go in there and have themselves a couple of beers or whatever they wanted, and they'd come back out. And it was like taking a break. We'd take a break, and then we'd go back to work, right? But that was it, you know? We did that, and everybody did their volunteer. We had people, they used to come from out of town. When they knew that we had a cucaracha weekend, they would come from out of town just to help, help put the paper together, right? Right, yeah. you know, and some of the contributions people made would like just be helping. They would bring food, or they would do this, or yeah. they would help with the kids, or you know that kind of stuff. So, okay, when it came to doing the newspapers, you know, I know 
a lot of times it was just done in a weekend. You know, some of the reporting and all that kind of stuff was done during the week, but it would all come together on a weekend. And those are the weekends you're talking about, right? When yes. everybody would come together. Yes. And put together the newspaper. So what are the, the kind of themes of the newspaper during the run that you remember? Some of the biggest stories that you remember? Well, most of the stuff that we were covering was like, well, one of the things that we always covered was um, the land grant issue down in the valley, down in San Luis Valley, the Taylor Ranch, 77,000 acres that was uh, bought by this guy named Taylor. And was Then after he bought it, he closed it up and he wouldn't let the people go up there to go hunting and fishing and all of that. Uh, so that was one of the issues that we wrote a lot about a lot. A lot of a lot of other stuff too was the stuff that was coming out in the Star Urnal and the Pueblo Chief Payne. All of this garbage that the yellow journalism that they put out. They were never writing any stories about what was happening in the barrios. The Chicano barrios. All they're saying is this guy this guy named Gonzalez was nothing but a drunk and that yeah, 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 come on. But they wouldn't ask, well, why is that guy a drunk? Maybe it's a problem. That's what we get into. Why is he a drunk? Try to find out. Try to help him, right? But we, we thought, there was all the times about police, police brutality, people that were getting beat up and that. Uh, there was a guy named Losavio at one time. I think he was, I don't know what the hell he was, uh, district attorney, I think. He was constantly after our ass, man. You know, he he hated the cucaracha. And why? Because he knew that what we were doing, what we were saying was the truth. You know, it was the truth. And they didn't like that. You know, they don't want they don't want anybody to go against what that their journalism uh, newspapers are writing. So but we, you know, we we wrote just mainly things that concerned the poor people, the minorities. You know, um, yeah, the, about the health centers. What was going on with the health centers? The health centers were, were always under attack. Jose Esteban Ortega worked at the health centers for a long time as an administrator there. And, you know, he tells us stories about the hassles that they had, you know. They would in, come in and confiscate all their files, the FBI, no sick kid, all kinds of weird stuff, right? Try to close the close the 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 health centers down for whatever reason, right? It's just, they just didn't like the idea that people were getting good health care and paying very little money. And a lot of us that were on the barter system, right? There was a lot of these companies here in Pueblo that were on barter system like like Rivera's tire service. After we had flat tires or we needed tires, boom. We'd go to him. He'd fix our tires, you know. The drug stores and all of that. We'd go to these different companies. We would trade services. They'd take odds out in a cucaracha. We wouldn't charge them for them, but we'd go and use their services. And it worked out good, right? The barter system. I wish that we could get still get into that these days, right? Because it's a good way of taking care of business, right? Yeah, so, you know, there was, there, there was a lot of good things that happened because of Cucaracha here, you know? It made a lot of people aware, a lot of the stuff that was happening, right? That you weren't picking up from your, 
your media, what do they call it? I don't know, the, the regular media that you see. You know, now with this this idiot that they got up there in, in the White House, este puto, he's, he's going, you know, the media, the way he looks at it, we're all fake media. And he's just living in his own little fake world. He doesn't even know what the hell's happening, but, you know, we have to put up with it. You know, I just hope somebody impeaches him quick and, you know, get rid of him, because uh, I do remember one of the things when he was running, he says, my job is to dismantle this government. Puto, the tramp, said that, to dismantle this government, and he's doing it. Look, at he gives all these jobs, like the Environmental Protection Agency, to somebody that doesn't know nothing about it, that, uh, what's her name, votes or some of that, education, nothing. All of these people, that pendejo from the, that Dr. Ben Carson in housing, they, they just busted him now for $31,000 he wanted to refurbish his office and take it right out of housing, right? And this is the kind of people that he's hired. And why? Because when they fail, he's going to say, well, they didn't tell me. You know, I was assured that they knew about this. When they... When, when he offers them the job, do you know anything about education? No, you're my man. Because he's putting these people in there to fail. And that way when it fails, well, it was his fault, right? Or her fault, right? So back to the cucaracha. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, okay, so you were doing a lot of business on the bartering system. So how was it able to sustain itself, and how were you able to keep putting out copies and issues, you know, when you were just bartering for a lot of the things? So how were you able to bring funds together in order to put one together and put it out? Well, see, there was a lot of people that were paying us cash. Not not all of it was bartered, right? right? Not all of it was bartered. A lot of people were paying us cash, right? But, uh, but it got to the point there when we realized that we couldn't go on anymore, that we would have to sell the cucaracha. You know, we'd have to sell it. And when we started asking people about it, it wasn't too, didn't sound like it was gonna go over very good, right? So then we, you know, we just decided, well, you know, we can't continue. The reality is that we can't continue because here's these people that, families, they have families, and they have to exist in that, right? So, right. So, you know, this is why we finally ended up closing the cucaracha down. How long did uh, the cucaracha run? Uh, it was from 76 to 84. About eight years? Yeah, about eight years or so. Yeah. Yeah, because it started off as, what, a monthly issue? Yeah. Then it went to bi-weekly, then weekly, and then back again, right? Yeah. Something to the like, run. Yeah. Yeah, and I know, um, I mean, you would do a lot of fundraising. They would do a lot of um, events. Um, they did a spook house. They did, you know, they would um, make uh, T-shirts, oh, yeah, posters, and that kind of stuff. And that would also help put out the newspapers, and that would also go, right? Yeah. Well, one of the things, I'm glad you mentioned that, because one of the things that we had going for us is that during the state fair time, we had a booth. We rented a booth, 
and it was called Echo in Aslan, which means made in Aslan. Aslan is the south of western states that belong to Mexico. We call that Aslan. Anyway, so artists like uh, uh, Leo uh, Lucero, other people would do silk screening. My wife and my sister-in-law did beat ears, earrings, beaded earrings. Uh, other people would do paintings and posters and fly or stuff like that, t-shirts, silk screen. And they would bring them to us and we would sell them and we'd get 10% of whatever they sold. We never made any money. We were always in the red, but it didn't matter because what we were trying to do was we were trying to get the message out. And we also had what, what I thought was unique is we used to have also at times babysitting services. You know, a couple would come up there. We had the Cucaracha, our little place there. And, and we, it was also a communication center. We'd have a, a bulletin board up there. People would put no, notes for somebody else. And, and um, yesterday was our biggest event, you know. Until today, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Fiesta Day has always been the biggest day they've ever had there, you know. But anyway, so they would they would come there, and and couples would come over there, and sometimes we'd be certain they're listening to these people and say, "God, man, I wish we could, you know, get something to do with the kids so we could go and enjoy ourselves, you know, just for an hour or two, right?" Come hell, leave them here. Leave them with us. We had this big tent and that. We had t toys and that for them to play with and all that. Leave them here. You know, they'll be they'll be safe. They'll be fine. So they take off for an hour, two hours, and they come back all refreshed, man. You know. But that was one of the things, and we were there for the purpose to be out there for the people. We were not there to make money, right? We knew we were not making any. We never did, but it was just something there to be visible so we could have that visibility in the community, right? And the whole state was coming there up yesterday. So, you know, we was covered by the whole state, right? So, it, you know, it, it was, it, that, that times was really good, right? That, that was really good. I used, to, I used to sleep in there all night long, you know, and uh, <clears throat> anyway, uh, yeah, that was the fiesta. We had, a, I mean, the state fair. You know, that's one of the raise, one of the ways we try to raise a little bit of monies, but you know, it didn't didn't happen too often. But we had dances and other things that we would do. You know, to try to offset to help us with the the funds. Some of the guys that were working, like Juan, he was working. He would kick in money. You know, Jose Esteban Ortega, he was working at this health centers and. He'd kick in money and other people, you know, you know, and all of these other other people, these professionals, you know, doctors and others. So well, here, here's, here's fifty bucks or a hundred bucks. Every, every, everything that we got, it helped, right? And 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 you know, and it was it was for the most part, it was a good time working with Cucaracha. I love these people till today. I'm in contact with them, you know. They're here in Pueblo, most of them, you know. And so I get to see them, I get to pass time with them and reminisce on the old days, you know. 
So what does it feel like, you know, to, from your, your story of your beginnings of the Chicano movement and where you found yourself all the way through, how does that feel to see that in a museum piece and to see your own artifacts and the stories that you remember on the walls and in the cases? What does that feel like to you? Oh, man, that just makes me feel so good to know that that that's my legacy. You know, one, I, I got to mention one thing. Several years ago, Jose Esteban Ortega was at my house, and we were talking, and I told him, I said, Jose, check this out, man. I brought all of this stuff from Boulder, man. I got all these posters, flyers, tapes, pictures, newspapers, you know. When I die, my kids is gonna think this is all trash, man. And they're gonna burn it. I said, what am I gonna, what, what am I gonna do? He said, I don't know. So we started talking, and we started talking with Emma, with Juan and Debbie, and we came up with this. Why don't we see if we can start some kind of an archive here in Pueblo? So we started to form what we call the Colorado Chicano Movement Archives. And uh, matter of fact, when I mentioned that story about Joe Garcia a while ago, matter of fact, one of the very first meetings that we had, the archives had, we asked Joe Garcia, he was the president of the university at that time, and we asked him to come to this meeting. And um, he gave us his blessing, and uh, we moved on with it, now I think and I was the very first donor, and I'm proud of that. I'm proud that that anybody, yesterday I got a call from Beverly Allen, who's the, the archivist up there, that some young man was up there looking at uh, my collection on the Coors Boycott, going through all that stuff, and he wanted to talk to me. And he's gonna make an appointment with me to meet so we could talk about the arc, about the, about this kind of, uh, my involvement with the Coors Boycott. Yeah, so this is my legacy, these stories that I tell, you know. This is part of who I am, what I'm all about, right? You know, I live Chicano move. you know. I'm going to be 80 years old this year. This year we're going to celebrate our 50th anniversary with Umas and MAP. And I'm thinking that's going to be around September. I'm not sure, you know, but uh, I'm going to be a part of that. I've always been a part of it, you know. Um, for the first time in my life, I'm going to do a presentation in my hometown of Trinidad. All of the years that I've been involved, I never went down there, and I'm going to be doing down there on May the 4th, and uh, I'm looking forward to that because that's something I've always wanted to do. I've wanted to bring my people and my hometown closer to this and hope that we could get something going down. There's no Umas or Mecha. Mecha is Mexicano Estudiantil Chicanos de Aslan. There's a Mecha in Boulder. It's called Umas Mecha now. And, but to be able to get an organization like that started in my hometown would be great to be able to 
educate people about the Chicano movement, about their history. Because that's what it is. We just have to learn our history, going back to the Aztecas, you know, Moctezuma, you know, and, and come up to the present time, because that's who we are. But we never learned this. We always learned about Abraham Lincoln and all that crap, right? So that's what I want. I, but my legacy, and when I come in here and I see my stuff here, and it, it makes me proud, you know. When they had the grand opening up there in Denver a couple of years back, I went there for the grand opening, El Movimiento exhibit. And uh, Joe, Joe Garcia was up on stage, and, and uh, I was sitting on the edge of the stage, and I'd, I had my cane with me. I had a real back back injury. I had my cane there with me, and I'm I'm sitting there on the edge of the bandstand, and and Joe Garcia's talking about the Colorado Chicano movement archives, and and he says, "Oh yeah." So I, he said, "When I came in, he says I uh, I ran into Juan Freddy Freak Trujillo, and." Uh, I asked him, how you doing, Freddie? And he says, he says, well, I'm getting old, but I've got, but I've got one building takeover left in this body. <laughs> and when he said that, everybody started to applaud, man, and everything, yay, Freddie. And, you know, but that's the way I look at it, man, you know. I'm ready, you know, ready Freddie. Because that's what it's about, man. You gotta be ready when they tell you, gotta go. You know. You know when we asked to be part of UMAS, and we asked to go in there, take that building, and knew that something could happen. It did. Six of my brothers and sisters were killed. Six. And I will never forget them. I'll never forget, and what they did not only for me, but what they've done for the rest of the Chicano movement, because that's what it's all about. It's just educating. It's too bad that we gotta go to the point we're dying for it, but they're martyrs. Since then, in, 19, in 2014, we had a commemoration of Los Ace, the Boulder. We had this conference up in Denver for a whole week in May. And while we were there, this people from the Freedom Archives from California, they came to San, from San Francisco and they interviewed a whole bunch of us. And they put together a DVD, it's called Symbols of Resistance, and it's about the Luces de Boulder and about three other brothers killed Ricardo Falcón, uh, God, uh, Carlos Zapata, and Luis Junior Martinez, and uh, these are martyrs of the movement. Well, anyway, they came to these people came and interviewed us, and they put together this beautiful DVD that talks about the movement. I was very fortunate to be part of that, and um, I'm in it myself. Yeah, there was another. Sister named Nicole Iscabel, 
she she grew up in Denver, and I, I didn't meet her just till a few years back. But she contacted her. She had heard about Alsace the Boulder, and she wanted to do a story about Neva Romero. So she came here, and she interviewed us over at the at the campus, over at that uh, TV station that they have on campus, and. Uh, she put together a program, a DVD, it's called Jamás Olvidados, Never Forgotten, the Neva Romero story. That's another story that's very good about the Chicano movement, about Neva, and, and those two uh, are being showed all over the place. I'm gonna be doing a couple of presentations this month. And, um, but anyway, that's what we do. We make these movies so we can show. I've spoke in front of thousands of students, and I've I've been in classrooms with hundreds of them, in and, and spoke and that. And a lot of times, a person gets to talking, and before you know it, it's all this, like my shrink. <laughs> Winkler, he told me what one time. He tells me he was looking at me. This was a. When I was in Fort Logan, and we used to have these counseling class where all of us, a whole group, group counseling, right? And I'm sitting there talking and talking and talking, and my doctor looking at me real weird, you know, and he kept looking at me. And he says, Fred, I got a question for you. I said, yeah. He says, you got the worst case of verbal diarrhea that I have ever seen. Where do you come up with this shit? <laughs> and we cried loved him, man. I just loved him. He became, and my other doctor, Forrester, I walked into his office one day. He used to always have a pipe in his mouth. Never smoked it, but he always had a pipe in there. I walked in and I told him, I said, Dr. Forrester, what do you think of people who talk to themselves. He looked at me real serious. Whoa. He said, why, do you talk to yourself? I said, yes. He says, you know what, I do too. I find out that once in a while you have to speak to somebody intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I got from my shrinks, right? God bless them, because they're the ones that taught me about my mother beating me and all this ugly stuff that I didn't want, that I didn't know. You know, but they're the ones that, they're the ones that saved me, right? So I thank them, you know, for all of that because it, it's it's just, they're the ones that set me straight on a lot of stuff, on just living. They didn't teach me nothing about history, but they taught me about living. And once I became, you know, I used to say I'd, I'd go to dances, and nobody would dance. There, later on in life, I'd go to a dance and some girl would come up to me, she said, you know how to dance a mambo? I said, yeah. She said, they play a mambo, will you dance me? I said, sure. Somebody come up, you know how to dance a cha-cha? I said, yeah, sure. You know you know how to dance a corrido? Yeah, polka, sure. So I used to have my little card filled up for the night, you know, because they'd come up and ask me. I was a good dancer. I'm not jiving. I used to be a really good dancer. I don't know why. I just, but now I can't even walk, you know, let alone dance. But, you know, that, that was part of growing up there, you know. 
These right. people were growing up with me too, and they were, in the beginning, they saw me as a freak dancing by myself, and then pretty soon, they realized there was something a lot more to that freak than just, you know, him acting goofy. There was something there, right? And so, you know, that it paid me off in the long run a lot after that, you know, because I, some of these people are still my friends today, man, you know, that they call me up, I had one call me the other day, and she said, do you remember me? And I said, no, she said, my name is Antoinette, and I was up there, and, and she tells me, you had a crush on me. I said, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, well, you used to look at me, and I said, uh, you know what, let me tell you something. I said, I'm going to be 80 years old this year. She said, really? She said, well, I'm 65. I said, okay. <laughs> so I was 15 years older than you when you came to Boulder, right? So I don't know. And I said, so, you know, I'm, I'm uh, she said, you were that old? I said, yeah. I said, I was 32 years old when I started Umas in 1970, you know? I said, so I was already old. She said, well, I always thought you were real young. I said, no. But see, there again, so a lot of these people that I met, you know, they're a lot younger than me, but now they, they remember me, but, you know, they say, well, I remember you from them, but when I tell them my age, they, 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 they don't believe it, right? Because I always thought of me as a young, goofy character running around. I used to wear these... Uh, um, picheras, these uh, uh, bib overalls with little flowers on them, little tulips. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, just goofy clothes, man. You know, almost to make myself look like a little clown or something. I don't know. It was, it was part of the part of the image of the Freddy freak image, right? Like the furry freak, furry freak brothers. You know, that that's anyway. But yeah, that's about it. Okay, any other final thoughts? Well, you know, yeah, I want to thank the museum here because, you know, they've done so much for us here in the past few years. I've, I've been a, a, a volunteer, you know. I'm not, I'm not the kind of volunteer that hangs around here all the time, but I go back to Debbie Espinosa way back when she first got here and that, you know reenactments and out there in the yard and that doing all of this stuff I just can't do that anymore you know I, I fell and injured my back a couple of years ago and got a slip disc and you know I'm really walking on that now I'm on I'm on oxygen you know and and so but you know I, I could come here and and I feel at home you know I can come in here I could talk with the people like I was talking to my own family they all know me you know, I can come in here and walk around, and nobody's nobody's concerned about. Hey, well, there he goes, right? I mean, I just, I just, I'm one of the family. All you guys are part of my family, right? You more than anything else, because we go back a lot further we because do. of your of uh, your your family, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not to take anything away from you, but you know, so, uh, and, but here we are, you know. You're doing all of this stuff for the community, right? Right. I'm involved in the community. They see this stuff and they say, oh, wow, you're that guy that has some of your buttons on display down there at the museum. Yeah, that's me. You know, I'm Freddie Freak, man. You know, yeah, well, we've heard of you. And so, yeah, I thank God that uh, 
that the museum is doing what it's doing, and, and I hope to Christ that it continues to do what it's doing because we need this kind of, uh, uh, how do I want to say, uh, for lack of words, publicity. We, we, we want our word to get out. We want to be able to show what we have to the community. All of the stuff belongs to me. Not really, it belongs to the movement, you know? When I die, I, I, when I got donated all my stuff to the archives, they said, what about your buttons? And I said, oh, my cold dead, oh, I'm not dead body. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I've got like 500 buttons. I don't know, you know, eventually, I'm gonna have to give them up, right? But but anyway, you know, and it's because this is stuff that, that I hold dear to my heart, you know? And, and I'm just thankful you guys here are doing this for us because we need to get this information out, man. You know, and, and it's, it's just good to have people that are concerned, that could see the other side of the story, right? And not what you see in the, in the Pueblo Chief Pain and the Star Arnold, because everything you read in is nothing but lies, man. You know, it's run by Republicans who just don't care about nobody but themselves, right? And at least we have people here that are not involved in that type of a politics. Porque somos gente. We're people. Right. We love each other. We know each other, right? And we're not trying to cut each other's throats, you know. And as long as the Pueblo keeps doing what it's doing, and as long as I can come down here and help and participate in any way that I can, you know, I'll be here, you know, because it's part of my home, you know. I, I think of this place as mine, you know. This is like my home, you know. I, 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 I have some of my stuff down in my, in by the house down there, we call it the Pueblo Museum. That's where I look at it, because I spend so much time here, you know, and it's good. It's good, because every time I come down here, I meet somebody, we talk. They learn a little bit about history, and I figure, well, if, you know, I, when I go do presentations, you know, quick last story. I used to go to A meetings all the time. On Sunday mornings, they used to bring all of the little juveniles in, and they'd sit there, and they'd listen to us, right, and talk about, so we call our, our drunk stories, right? Well, I was a drunk, and you're so baboso, blah, 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 blah. And we'd get over there, and I'd talk stories, you know, but, and when they would leave, there may be 10, 10, 12, 13 kids in there. Whenever they would leave, one would come up and say, I got your message. Good. I saved one. I saved one that I hope he doesn't have to go through delirium treatments, that he doesn't have to go through that pain and suffering that you go through alcoholism or through drug addiction. So I figured if I saved him, I've done my job. And that's the way it is here. If I've got through to one person, I've done my job. You know. Thank you for listening to this episode of Co-Authored. To find more podcasts from History Colorado Studios, visit www.historycolorado.org podcasts.